Hi, I'm Olivia Belanger, the health solutions reporter for the Keen Sentinel and the host of Invisible Illness. This podcast is brought to you by the Monadnock Region Health Reporting Lab, launched by the Keen Sentinel in February of 2022. The donor-funded model provides free content on health in southwestern New Hampshire, including this podcast, articles, and newsletters. For this episode, I spoke with Nancy Bishop, a 64-year-old Swansea resident who has been living with type 1 diabetes since she was 19. Going into this conversation, I knew about type 1 diabetes, but I had no idea how intense and overwhelming the daily experience is for people that are living with it. Nancy and I discussed how treatment has shifted over the years, the rising costs of insulin, and the many ins and outs of being a type 1 diabetic. Without further delay, here's Nancy Bishop. All right, well, thank you so much for being here. I really well, appreciate you. it. Um, so I'd love to start with when you were first diagnosed with type 1. Can you talk about what symptoms led mm-hmm. to your diagnosis and also you know, what that diagnosis was like for you to hear that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, actually, it came on very gradually. Uh, I remember it was in July. Um, I'm not sure if it was 78 or 79, but... Uh-huh. It was around that time, and I noticed I had some funny tingling in my hands, and I just didn't think it was right, but mm-hmm. I'd been to the doctor, and he attributed it to anxiety, which most everything is attributed to anxiety, and as time went on, I went back to school. I was going to a community college, and uh, it was November, mm-hmm. and I remember specifically that there were posters in the lobbies of the college and I looked at the poster and I thought at that point I had every symptom on the poster Mm -hmm. and um, so I said to my mother um, could we go and get a test for um, diabetes Mm -hmm. you know blood sugar test Uh, at that time it was strips that you tested your blood sugar you basically urinated and put the strip in and Mm -hmm. it would give you a reading and I remember um coming out of the bathroom and the color on the strip was the highest one on there and I said to my mother I think I have diabetes and she had remarked um in the month before that I was seemed to be getting up and going to the bathroom a lot Mm -hmm. at night she says you're going to wear a hole in that carpet you go back (laughs) and forth so much and I had lost weight too that last week before I was diagnosed I lost 10 pounds in a week and I'd always had a weight problem. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this is strange too. And, um, so I ate everything in sight and, uh, still losing weight. And, um, and then when I tested myself and it was that high, we called the doctor and, uh, I remember I called him and I said, um, I think I have diabetes. Mm -hmm. And he said, what makes you think that? And I said, well, I tested my urine and it's the highest color on there he says you need to get to the hospital right away Wow! so that's how it all started and once in the hospital I was referred to a doctor that knew more about treating type 1 diabetes at that point they kept you in for a week because they were teaching you and um, but I remember him coming into the room and saying um, you know I don't know why you're walking around he said by all rights you should be in a coma Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that week, I remember driving because I drove back and forth to college. And I remember I couldn't feel my hand and I was, you know, hitting it on the steering wheel going, this is weird. But I also felt like I was slipping away. I can't describe it. It was the most 
you know, strange feeling. Yeah. Just felt like I was slipping away. Now, that could have been a combination of the blood sugar and anxiety. Sure. For sure. Sure. But anyway, it was kind of a relief to get a diagnosis, but I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. I would imagine in the 70s, it, it was either relatively new or, you know, there wasn't a ton of information about it. I, I, what was it like at that time? Well, um, there were certainly, you know, there's been diabetics since, since uh, you know, the Romans and the Greeks and, sure. and everything. And, it, and um, I had a professor in college who was a researcher for um, type 1, and he said that how they discovered it was they noticed that when people went to the bathroom, there were all... This is disgusting, right? But <laughs> That's, so this okay. is how That's it why was, we're here. <laughs> this is how it was discovered. There were a lot of flies around, uh-huh. and the urine was sugary, and oh. that was attracting the flies. So it's been around forever. Um, it wasn't until the 1920s that um, when insulin was discovered. Okay. There were all these children, you know, that were wasting away, and uh, the, down in um, Boston in the hospitals there, they were all in comas. And then when insulin was discovered and they were injected, they came out of their comas. So it was That's really, incredible. yeah, life-saving, life-saving drug. And um, I think it was Banting and Best. You'll have to check me on the sure. facts. But, um, you know, they sold the patent for a dollar, you know, hoping that insulin would be available to any diabetic. And yeah. now the costs are soaring, but that's a different, right. um, different story. So, um, yeah, and back when I was diagnosed, we didn't have um, glucose meters. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now I have a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, which reads my blood sugars like every five minutes. But back then, um, you were really testing your urine. We had, I had a test tube and a test tube holder, and you'd put so many drops of urine in, and then you'd put a tablet in, and you'd wait the required time, and it would change color, and then you would match the color to a uh, you know a strip mm-hmm. which would tell you you know were you positive negative i mean it didn't give you a lot of information i sometimes wonder how did i get through that because yeah. you guessed you right. know well, okay based on this and what the doctor told me this is how much insulin you would take and back then i was um taking two kinds of insulin i was injecting this was before the pump mm-hmm. and uh eventually i went on to the pump in uh I've been on the pump about 35 years. So. Okay. And so the when you had syringes, it was like just like a normal like needle that you would use for uh, uh, other things? Well, no. They, I mean, specifically the syringes, um, at least at that time, the syringes were not as microfine as they are now. Okay. Um, but prior to that, I mean, I, I've only met a couple of really old diabetics Mm -hmm. they were boiling syringes and having to reuse them so I didn't have that yeah thankfully and then eventually um I think it was in the 80s uh they came out with a glucose meter and that was you know you um poke yourself and then you could test your blood sugar right and it would give you a reading and those are still I still have one I still use it when I'm questioning Mm -hmm. what's going on you know yeah and um when during that time where you were testing your urine, how often did you have to do that to make sure that you were monitoring it oh appropriately? Gosh, yeah, I I think it was at least four times a day. I mean, before meals and yeah, I think it was a fair amount. I mean, it just seems like it's so long ago, but yet not really. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's really fascinating to me because type one, even now, it just feels like a very overwhelming 
diagnosis yes. because there's so much involved with it. Yes. There's a lot of things you need to learn really quickly. Yes. Um, I have a friend whose son just got diagnosed. Nice. He's, uh, I think he's nine. Yeah. Um, and I know that with COVID there's been some earlier diagnosis in kids. Um, but just watching her go through that process has really opened my eyes to the, the monstrosity of all yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, can you just talk about like what that was like for you and like learning how to do blood sugar, learning how to, you know, figure out what you need to do for your body if it's low or high, yeah. um, like all of those different things. What was that like? Well, first of all, um, I'm so grateful uh, and forgive me if I start to cry a little bit, but it's okay. Yeah. Um, I was 19 and so, um, in one way, you know, I had a childhood, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have to battle the diabetes and, and grow up and go through puberty where a lot of kids do. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's the burden is on their parents. You know, it's a huge responsibility. And, um, I think that's why I really wanted to talk to you too, because, um, I know when I was 19, I didn't know anybody that was older. Yeah. You know, I only knew type two diabetics, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not the same disease. Um, but there's a heavy burden, um, of responsibility on the patient and for children, it's the parents to, um, test the blood sugars and, um, you know, make sure that the insulin is right. And, uh, how I learned that well in the hospital, they, um, first teach you it back then with an orange. And they'd give you a needle and they'd say, okay, I want you to, you know, practice injecting Mm -hmm. the orange. And I thought, well, this is weird. What do I do? Eat the orange? And that's, you know. And then the doctor said, oh, no. He said, (laughs) this is how you're learning to, um, you know, do it on yourself. Right. So I remember the first time I gave myself an injection. I remember it clearly because um, I couldn't stop. Like, I stuck the needle in. But I it was like I couldn't stop and he said all right leave it there and something happened you know I yeah. just was afraid or whatever and yeah. so I injected the insulin and I so I was there for a week so they were teaching me back then it was how to um you'd have exchanges for every food you ate mm-hmm. so if you ate a piece of bread that was one exchange and you had so many exchanges in a day which helped you and your weight and what you Mm -hmm. needed so it's very tailored to the person and um i remember uh this was in november so it was the first thanksgiving um coming up in a week Mm -hmm. where i had diabetes and i had just i just started dating um a young guy from college um been dating him like from october actually climbed the mountain and i felt horrible and so now I know why. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, he was invited, and I remember my mother coming to the table with all of these um, utensils, mm-hmm. you know, measuring cups and spoons, and I was mortified. You know, my date, I hadn't been dating him very long, and, well, he knew about my diabetes because yeah, I was dating him. Right. But um, anyway, that was a very stressful Thanksgiving. Yeah, and shortly after that... Uh, he broke up with me and so I it was horrible yeah, it's a tough time it was, it was a horrible. tough string of events <laughs> it was horrible that time yeah um and 
I also wanted to talk to you just kind of about the day-to-day and how that's changed for you. Um, I would hope or imagine at some point, you know, all of the little things that you had to do for your type one sort of became second nature as part of your daily routine. How long did it take to get to that point? And, you know, how is how it affects you daily changed if at all well I'm I feel like I'm always transitioning with the with this disease Mm -hmm. you know because sometimes moment to moment day to day it's a disease that's always in the back of my mind Mm -hmm. you know and I think some people um handle it differently I just know how I am and um so you're always thinking about it and I had to transition from um insulin shots Mm -hmm. to going on the pump and um actually I've always been um very much of a I've been very much an advocate for myself because back then there were no support groups Mm -hmm. well there were support groups for type 2 but type 1s weren't coming to support groups yeah um so I read a lot and then I would go to my doctor and I would say you know do you think a pump would help me because I was having terrible lows like Mm -hmm. um uh, you could predict them. Like as soon as noontime came, um, I would be shaking and feeling dreadful and yeah. not knowing whether I was going to make it through, you know, that. It took me about three months to really get that straightened out shots to a pump, mm-hmm. which was a whole nother um, learning curve for me. And it's so different today because of the tools that they have. But back then, I would have to record, I'd have to check my blood sugar like every hour, Mm -hmm. record it every hour. And then I would um, talk with my nurse educator and I'd give her, you know, what was going on. And then she would talk to the doctor because what they're trying to do is on a pump, it works very differently. There's a basal insulin for 24 hours. That's like the background insulin that takes care of just the day. Mm -hmm. And then... um, there's a bolus insulin, and the bolus insulin is used for when you eat. You know, before you eat, you bolus. You gotcha. bolus for the carbs that you're eating. So that was, um, I was ready to quit, you know, with the pump because it was so intense mm-hmm. for, for three months. And then, um, you know, you get used to it. It's like learning a language. You yeah. know, you eventually, it you it clicks. Mm-hmm. And um, you have a lot of flexibility with the pump that uh, I didn't have with insulin shots. Like if, um, you know, if I'm running high one day, usually with an insulin shot, you know, you're giving yourself insulin and that background insulin is for the 20, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a pump, you know, if, if you're not feeling good or your blood sugars are running high, you can dial in and... Um, take some insulin to try to bring that back into right. range and it now you know their pumps are kind of talking with your continuous glucose monitor I don't have one of those yet but I'm I'm headed that way gotcha. so um, and as I got older of course you know things change you go through um, menopause and your blood sugars do certain things mm-hmm. they didn't do before you work uh, depending on what you're doing for work they're fluctuating um and then um you stop working and you do something else so it's a constant adjustment yeah you know so you got to be on top of it um and it's it's tiring and um i think i've been dealing with in the last couple of years 
um, well, some burnout. Yeah. COVID didn't help. Yeah. I would imagine because yeah, that's just one other thing yeah. on your list to have to yep. Yep. worry about because yeah, that just you explaining that all to me, I'm, I'm exhausted <laughs> thinking yeah. about all that you have to do. Yeah. So I, I would imagine that COVID just made it even more yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. Overwhelming is the word. And, um, you know, you can, I think the toughest time for a lot of diabetics, I know it has been for me. Um, and that's why I went on to a CGM because mm-hmm. I didn't know what my blood sugars were doing at night. And the scariest part yeah. is when they go low. And if you're not, if you don't deal with it, you know, you can go into a um, shock. And yeah, I didn't shock. even think about that. Yeah, that happened to me once um, when I was first diagnosed and it was in a grocery store and it was um, not good. Yeah. <laughs> not good. I mean, they got the ambulance and the ambulance came right. and. But, um, yeah, so the CGMs, the, you know, as I said, the continuous glucose monitor monitors you. You can set alarms for when it's too low or too high. Mm-hmm. And um, that's helped quite a bit. Prior to getting the CGM, I was awake probably, oh, at least four or five times a night checking my blood sugar. Because um, as you have diabetes, you can, you know, for many years, you can lose your sensitivity to hypoglycemia which is when it's too low and before when I would shake or I my vision wasn't clear or I was sweaty I don't always get those symptoms anymore Mm -hmm. so the CGM will alert me now like you know when it gets to a certain you set the alarm and it'll it'll go off at a certain point so um, I don't have as much work to do all night long but having done that all night long it's hard to sleep. Yeah, right. It's hard to sleep. I think sleep is um, a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And um, an- another thing that I think about a lot when it comes to type 1 and, and type 2, I suppose, but um, like going out to a, a restaurant, yes. for example, when restaurants don't have, you know, here's the amount of carbs yes. that are in this yes. particular thing. I mean, how do you deal with it do you just know kind of now like oh i know that this sandwich is going to have a certain amount of carbs in it or do you you know how do you deal with that because it's a whole other thing that i don't think that people understand right and uh you know i i don't know when they started putting carbs on actual groceries that Mm -hmm. you bought but it's a long period of time where there were no carbs to count really i didn't know that yeah and that's why um you know we've gone from exchanges like this piece of bread is you know you you get five exchanges say for for a meal so you pick your things and you say okay that equals this and that's Mm -hmm. how much insulin i take so then um i don't remember when it was that they started labeling um packages Mm -hmm. with the amount of carbs but boy has that really helped um the thing is though is uh i've also noticed um that not all companies are weighing things, you know, so they may say that a piece of, of bread, one slice of bread has, oh, say it has uh, 25 carbs, mm-hmm. you know, and um, you weigh it and it actually has maybe 30 or 35 because it wasn't sliced gotcha. consistently. Right. Well, that's important to know yeah, because difference. yes, for how much insulin you're going to take. Right. So, um, yeah, just being at home, but having those labels is important. I think 
are they doing some carb exchange at some of the I don't go to fast food, but maybe Yeah, they well, do. I was going to say like my friend whose kid has type 1 over the past, you know, couple months since he's been diagnosed, like the only places that they go are like Applebee's, Chili's, yes. Longhorn, like anywhere that yes. has every single yes. thing laid out on the menu. Yes. Um, but on the same note of that, like if they go to a Chili's, the first thing that they do is they put popcorn on the table or, uh, the fir- or like because he's younger, they'll give him an ice cream sandwich with his meal. And she's yep. like, you can't, yep. <laughs> he can't have those things. That's going to mess everything up. Um, right. So, so as far as restaurants go, um, if you stick to, you know, low carb, mm-hmm. you know, so fish or uh, sure. something that, you know, is, is, doesn't have a lot of carbs, um, or you guess, mm-hmm. you know, well, I don't really know how much this piece of bread is or this roll is, but I'm going to guess. And sometimes, I'm, you know, you'd be right. And sometimes you're not quite mm-hmm. on the mark. Um, so, yeah, challenging, too, because restaurants often cook with, you know, salt and butter and, yep. you know, fats can influence. You right. Know, what and the... they're not going to tell you, you know, here's everything the chef is doing no, to, no. to prepare the no, meal. No, yeah. no, no. So you do your best. You yeah. know, you do your best. And I, I think that's the thing, too, is that uh, we beat ourselves up a lot. You know, I mean, imagine living your life by the numbers. How much do you weigh and what's your blood pressure and how about your cholesterol and your diabetes? Let's look at your um, diabetes control for the last three months. Mm -hmm. And so you and you are looking at it, you know, day to day, meal to meal, exercise, whatever. And you see these numbers and sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees Mm -hmm. because you see, oh, my God, I'm 200 right now, for instance oh my God, I'm so bad. I mean, what did I eat? And you start examining. Did I do, what did I do? And um, so it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really mentally exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. When it's good, it's really good. Mm -hmm. But um, anything can go wrong, you know, and I have backup supplies, you know, that I carry Mm -hmm. with me and take, for instance, this morning, um, I had to change my pump this morning and, um, I had trouble with it this morning. Mm-hmm. I um, have an infusion set that uh, gets uh, put into the body, mm-hmm. and um, it didn't go in right. And I thought, oh, no, because should I change it again, or am I going to, is it going to affect my blood sugar in a couple hours? You know, I have to make a decision, yeah. you know, and it's constant decisions. Diabetics make 180 decisions a day just around their diabetes not around everything else that is a crazy number it's crazy it's crazy so you know and they're all very important oh yeah Yeah, (laughs) like life or death decisions that's right i always say you know it's like walking a tightrope right and you're walking this tightrope and you could fall off Mm -hmm. you know just by one decision you can fall off yeah i had a this has been a challenging week for me too because uh the other night it was it was uh new year's eve Mm -hmm. yay everybody was having a party and i was (laughs) not and uh i was um i I noticed that my blood sugar was starting to rise when i went to bed and i took some more insulin and i went to bed and i you know i kept looking at my my uh, cgm and i'm i'm like okay, this isn't coming down. You know, it was steady mm-hmm. and it wasn't going too high. But I said, there's got to be something not working right here. 
but I'll wait till morning to, to deal with it. Cause I knew I had to set change the next morning. And so the next morning comes and, um, I'm like, okay, that must have been a bad site. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you've been injecting a long time, you develop these um, areas that are scar tissue or hard areas and the insulin doesn't absorb like it used to. Gotcha. So I think that's what happened. But I was half the day trying to get my blood sugar back in control, which also meant a call to the doctor on New Year's Day. I'm sorry, doctor. Right. Right. (laughs) But... Yeah, and I was actually just going to ask you, do you have, like, your doctor's personal information in case something goes wrong, like, in the middle of the night, or... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, um, I've i been a um, pump patient with uh, Dartmouth, Hitchcock, and Lebanon mm-hmm. for, oh my god, probably almost as long as I've had diabetes, not quite, but... Okay. Um, and I had a wonderful endocrinologist, um, he was like, he was like a father, really, to mm-hmm. me. He retired, mm-hmm. um a few years ago, but they have a pump program and, um, it's always been a very good pump program. It's changed a little over the years, mm-hmm. I have to say. Um, but it's 24 seven, you can get a doctor on call, um, 24 seven. And I, um, sometime in the years that I've lived with this, I've had to call at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. with blood sugars that are out of control. Right. Um, and they're very, uh, most of them are very good. I've had a few um, people that I've run into that s- didn't put me in the right direction. But um, right. overall, I think my care has been good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't imagine not only just dealing with, you know, a scary scenario where you don't know what's going uh-huh. on, but then also, you know, you can't <laughs> get a hold of anybody yes. who can help you through that situation. Yes. So yes, it's good to know that there's programs yes. and those things available. Yes. you re- If you want to be on a pump, you really need to have um, access 24-7 to someone because you're on a short-acting insulin. You're not on this long-acting insulin like with shots. Right. And so you have about four hours before things really go bad. Gotcha. So you need to know what to do. Um, we, we have plans you know Mm -hmm. they tell us how to handle those things but you know if you're sick um that's a different story yeah and I I was in the hospital a couple of years ago with the flu Mm -hmm. and that really sent things crazy Um, yeah because because you're more susceptible for that to be more severe well yes um it really impacts the blood sugar and once the blood sugars are out of control then you risk um ketoacidosis Mm -hmm. which can lead to a diabetic uh, well they call it diabetic ketoacidosis Mm -hmm. and uh that's a coma and um people die from that yeah but hey i want to tell you some good news because um now they have this test they just announced it shortly Mm -hmm. Uh, not too long ago, that they can um, test children mm-hmm. to to see if they have the antibodies that could lead to type one diabetes. Oh, cool! And they can uh, they have a medication now. It probably cost a million dollars, but sure. they have a medication um, that can uh, prevent it from uh, progressing. Uh, they said at least four years, mm-hmm. and uh, four years without it is a is a good thing. And uh, I think that, you know, some of the um, the things that they're coming up with now are very helpful for people that are getting diagnosed now. One thing I didn't realize that I think people should be aware of mm-hmm. is that you can be diagnosed with type 1 at any age. 
Yeah, yeah, because it used to be called pediatric juvenile, juvenile diabetes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's not the case. Any, no, really, anybody no. could be. No, in fact, I know someone. Um, well, uh, his, his diabetes, I believe, may have been related to a drug that he had to take for another condition, mm-hmm. and it uh, put him into type one diabetes. And um, so, in he, he, he's, you know mid 60s mm-hmm. say and then i heard about this other woman she was in her 90s and i'm like oh my god i didn't know wow. that i can't imagine being 90 and being diagnosed <sighs> that's a lot of information to <laughs> absorb at 90 yeah wow it is it is and it's just one of those things that you know insulin is the lifesaver and mm-hmm. if you don't have it you die i mean it only takes a few days and you're gone yeah so, yeah and, and you had mentioned earlier about the prices you know skyrocketing yes i would imagine considering how long you've been on it watching all of that happen must have been really scary (laughs) because you have to budget for that you know oh my god i i remember um we had a year where uh financially things were not good sure and um it was a struggle i mean how we're gonna afford and it was before um the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get insurance. Um, at the time, I wasn't working with a company that had insurance, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get it. So the only insurance I could get was through the state, which was had a high risk pool, and your um, deductible was $10,000. So it didn't cover anything until yeah. you hit 10000 So it's catastrophic. It wasn't, yeah. you know, day to day. So um, I had one year, I think I added up, uh, it was over $10,000 for diabetic insulin, uh, test strips, supplies. Yeah. And I I always say my um, retirement fund has been my diabetes. (laughs) Right. It's so expensive. I think they said um, recently that people spend between $10,000 and $20,000 a year on diabetes so it's how much if you don't mind me asking how much do you spend now like if you go to the pharmacy to get new supplies yeah so um i have a plan right now that um through affordable care act Mm -hmm. i i swear the affordable care act came at the right time because i didn't know how we were going to continue yeah and um so i've i have spent over the years i've had a you know, when I first got on and the Affordable Care Act was new, mm-hmm. I spent $375 a month um, just for the insurance. Mm-hmm. Then there was a deductible of, I don't know, maybe it was 1500 okay. before it would pay and then all of that. But um, right now, you know, they've t- they've worked with the plan. And I, I noticed over the last couple of years, um, more people qualify for a subsidy for help. So what I was paying almost, you know, $400 a month for insurance, mm-hmm. now it's a hundred, a little over a hundred dollars okay. a month. Um, I do have a deductible, but I don't have a drug deductible. So gotcha. when I need drugs, I can get them. Gotcha. Um, and it's for me, the plan, uh, as far as my diabetic supplies, the durable medical part of the plan covers my pump supplies after my deductible. Mm-hmm. So I think my overall out-of-pocket this year will be about $4,000. That's 
Gotcha. Uh, okay. Plus what I'm paying every month. Right. For the premium. Um, it doesn't pay as well for um, continuous glucose monitoring, which I find absurd. But yeah, um, yeah I get about uh, 40% coverage. So I pay about $400 a quarter for okay. the um, supplies for that. Gotcha. And how often are you changing your pump and how often do you need to like buy is that correct buying a new one yeah Yeah. so um oh well the pumps are warranted for four years okay and they're really expensive they're about eight thousand dollars depending on your plan is what you'll pay but the pump companies are usually very good at like i've had to have payment plans Mm -hmm. so yeah eight thousand dollars is a lot of money it's a lot of money yeah it's a lot of money it's a lot of money (laughs) it's like you know it's your little pancreas. Yeah. You know, and how much is a pancreas? Apparently $8,000. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so it usually lasts about four years? About four years. Okay. They, that's how long uh, they'll warranty it for. And I'm I'm due for an upgrade. So gotcha. that's coming. And then um, my uh, pump supplies, you know, my infusion sets and my syringes and those things are uh, like every three months you get those now Mm -hmm. i have a plan right now that covers my durable medical equipment so it's not so much out of pocket for me there um but insulin um i think my plan's pretty good right now for insulin Mm -hmm. uh i think medicare you know 35 dollars a bottle for insulin well i remember paying 500 dollars a bottle so definitely (laughs) take that (laughs) yeah yeah and when i first was diagnosed i mean it was like ten dollars and you know you could you could literally go to the pharmacy and you could get a supply yeah you know but now you can only get three months right and uh, i don't know what they think we're doing with this yeah you know, we're not selling it right yeah um and do you are there any other things that you hear about type one or, or misconceptions that you run into a lot that you you know, think that people should know or be more aware of? Well, I think um, people need to be uh, more educated about the difference between type 1 and type 2. Mm-hmm. It is a very different disease, although some of the treatments can be similar. Sure. Um, type 1 is an autoimmune disease. It's not our fault. <laughs> you know, we didn't eat too much sugar. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not our fault. Mm-hmm. And I think there is the burden of that in the beginning because people say, well, you know, did you eat too much sugar and, you know, you had too much candy or no. Um, so it's a lot of education that the the patient or the person who has the mm-hmm. diabetes has to do with people around because they just don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, even with uh, medical professionals, you know, I've had instances uh, with medical professionals that did not know and um you know you you have to educate because pumps now are more common but when i went on a pump there weren't that many people on pumps right so you know i'd run into different things different situations and i'd have to spend some time you know letting them know yeah um and uh type two is um more of a disease where the person's still making insulin, but the insulin can't get into the cells. Right. So um, usually for a lot of people, you know, if they manage the diet and the exercise and so forth, 
they can reduce their medication or come off the mm-hmm. medication. A type one will never come off their medication right. unless there is a cure. Right. And aside from... And we need a cure. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and aside from, um, you know, insulin and, and obviously monitoring your blood sugar, are there any other things that you do, like like you just mentioned, like for type two, like exercise and diet can have yeah. a huge effect. Is there anything that you do along those lines or is it does it really not matter too much? You know, I'm still, um, it's so interesting um, now with the internet and uh, so, so much access to information, mm-hmm. so many things that you can find out that you couldn't before, right. you know, you got a magazine once a month and it told you a few things, but now there's groups. And mm-hmm. so I've even learned things in the last couple of years that, well, I just wanted to mention too, that, um, it was very scary, you know, being diagnosed at 19 mm-hmm. when you're just beginning your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember, you know, as a young woman going to, um, uh, OBGYN, you know, it's like my first appointment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember that doctor telling me, um, well, you don't want to get pregnant. You do not want to have children because either you or the baby will die. Wow. And that really hit me. Yeah. That's a lot. To it process. has a lot, a lot. Yes. And, um, I would say I dealt with, um, you know, some depression for a while there. Yeah. And, I don't know for whatever reason, maybe many reasons, um, I never did have children. Um, thankfully, I have a big family. My brothers and sisters all had children, and mm-hmm. we've been involved and so forth. But um, I have to say that um, that decision not to have children was a tough one. And um, partly made, too, because I knew that it would be hard for me to work and raise a child the way I wanted to yeah, and take care of myself. And, uh, thankfully, you know, I have, um, a great husband Mm -hmm. and, um, of all the people, you know, that I could have been with, uh, Chris is, is the guy. Um, when you date somebody and, um, you go on your date and then, um, you go back and you're sitting in their, um, living room and you look around the corner of the couch and you see all these books. And I thought, what is he? He's an avid reader. <laughs> they were all on diabetes. He checked out like every Oh, book. that's so sweet. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I think I can, yeah. I think I can trust this guy. And, um, and he, you know, I've had a wonderful family too. Yeah. Um, my sisters, I have three sisters. They're all nurses. And, um, that's very helpful, very helpful. <laughs> uh, and they have been, you know, there've yeah. been times that I've really needed some help. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's been, been great and good supportive yeah. family and my own family. So yeah. that's great. Well, thank you so much for, for being here and for talking about this. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I just wanted to, um, really talk about it because it is invisible to a lot of people Mm -hmm. in fact i very rarely told people about it Mm -hmm. Uh, i realized that wasn't the safest thing to do because if i needed help you know people wouldn't know yeah but the thing i really did not want to do is have a problem i did not want to be the center of attention Mm -hmm. that was the one thing that you know i just didn't want people yeah all over me uh, but it also is another burden, you know, when you don't share it with people, 
And I've actually had people, you know, as I got older, I was like, well, forget this. I'm just telling them, right. you know, <laughs> right. you get older, you get more like, who yeah. cares? And um, I've had people say to me, oh, thank God I'm not you. Thank God I don't have to do that. And and I thought, yeah, thank God you don't. Mm-hmm. But you learn a lot and you learn your to trust your body. Mm-hmm. And so... There are things that you get from from it. I mean, totally. I don't want it. I'd like it to go away sure. tomorrow. But, um, you know, you still, it, there's gifts in it too. This podcast is brought to you by the Monadnock Region Health Reporting Lab, launched by the Keene Sentinel in February of 2022. The donor-funded model provides free content on health in southwestern New Hampshire, including this podcast, articles, and newsletters.